drama in Denver. Is Joe Flacco elite? Enough to get the Browns to the Super Bowl. Relax and panic parties for the new year. We got all that and more. I'm Jason Fitz, and it is time for Inside Coverage. Hey, everyone. It's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you, though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 Fantasy Baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. start the show we have breaking news this is crazy it's already been a wild day welcome to inside coverage jory epstein charles robinson i'm jason fitz you know the drill we'll go through all the big news and this morning we were getting ready to tape everything seemed like it was going to be easy and then all of a sudden we get hit with the news ladies and gentlemen that it appears that the end of the era is here for russell wilson what we know is that russell wilson is being benched by sean payton the denver broncos have a different starting quarterback this feels like a shocking decision to many because of the money because of the name recognition and because the broncos are still in the playoff hunt so charles robinson usually we shoot the you know what at the beginning but we're going to get straight to the breaking news how did we get here what's the latest that you know about this situation yeah i mean some people are going to look at russell wilson's numbers and they're going to say like hey what's it like 26 touchdowns eight interceptions like he seems like he's had an effective year under sean payton but i think the crux of this is Sean Payton's a really detail-oriented coach, right? And he wants to be able to run his full suite of offense. I think he feels like he has not been able to do that with Russell Wilson. Um, you know, he even made a comment prior to this benching where he said, you know, we're, we're average to below average in multiple areas on offense. And then he cut himself off, but he started to basically make the statement of, do we need to start taking stuff out of the offense? And if you're in December with a veteran quarterback and you're staring at having to remove things from your offensive playbook, there is a significant uh, disconnect between that head coach and that quarterback. And so I think that's part of how we got here. Uh, A lot of what's going to be talked about here is there's $37 million that becomes guaranteed in 2025 in March, and that's guaranteed for injury. So if Russ were to get hurt in these last two games and can't pass a physical uh, in March, they're on the hook for that $37 million. So I think over the course of this season for Sean Payton, and this is a Sean Payton decision, by the way, we know that Jory can speak to that as well. This was a coaching decision here, not a front office decision. Sean Payton looked at Russell Wilson was no longer comfortable with him being able to run the offense the way that, that he liked. And this could mean a lot of things. We can talk this out on, on the, on the show here, but um, it raises questions about where is everybody at in the organization? Does everybody agree with this decision that's been made now? Is is the front office and Sean Payton, are they in lockstep on this? They'll say that publicly. I, I wonder if that's actually the case behind closed doors. I don't know if it is or isn't, but this is quite a significant decision that's being made by Sean Payton here. And I, I think there's no doubt in my mind that Russell Wilson is absolutely done in Denver. They just need to figure out the mechanics of how to separate from him uh, come January. Yeah, Sirov and I really got similar ideas, although a little bit different details from our sources. Definitely, this was a Sean Payton decision. This wasn't a group decision, in my opinion. It was a Sean Payton decision. Um, And when I talked to someone in the building, it was like, it wasn't such a surprise. I think that it was 
like it's crazy that it's happening and also not surprising to the building, which I think speaks to one, how Sean feels about Russ and two, um, how much power Sean has to do something about how he feels about Russ. Um, to me, I was like kind of asking someone a couple things. I'm like, one, I think as a quarterback in particular, it's very hard to come back from something like this. You're the leader of the team. This isn't just like a cornerback in the lineup. Like this is the guy who is the face of the team and the one who's sending the message to the team. And the person I talked to definitely agreed with that, like they pointed out that Russ is a captain, like you are benching your captain who's making a ton of money and running the offense. And by the way, is not statistically playing that bad because you don't believe him in him in the future. You are willing to most likely take on an $85 million dead cap next year or some version of that. I, I shouldn't say most likely take it on. You are moving toward that and having to figure out what you are going to do if you don't want an $85 million dead cap. There is the idea that I know we've seen reported a lot today that um, if he's not on the roster, the fifth day of the 2024 league year, his $37 million 2025 salary is not get fully guaranteed. And that's definitely a big factor here. And when I pointed out to someone how, how costly this will be for them, they were like, yeah, but also it's even more costly if he gets hurt. And so I think that when it comes down to it, they do not want him there in 2025 and they're willing to say he's not going to be there in 2024 anymore for that. And the last thing I'll say is I just really, when we think about a decision like this and how rarely it happens, it reminds me the way that C-Rob is talking about it, the way that Sean McVay felt about Jared Goff. And it doesn't mean that the quarterback is not a capable quarterback, but there gets to a point where the coach and quarterback, the coach does not feel like the quarterback can do what the coach wants. And there are a handful of coaches in this league, whether that's McVay, that's Shanahan, that's Belichick, that's Sean Payton, who have done enough and have enough skins on the wall that if they decide the quarterback is not right for them anymore, they can make that decision. And I think it's it's interesting because we knew Sean Payton could make this decision. I'm still very surprised that he is making this decision right now. Uh, there's several tentacles to this. We'll get to all of them. But I want to start with a very basic question here, because Jared Stidham has lived this before. I watched it last year, right? Derek Carr was benched. But the difference is Derek Carr was kept away from the team for the exact same reasons you guys are talking about. They didn't want to face any opportunity where they were going to get stuck with an injury that cost the organization money. What I don't understand first out of all of the different angles here is why is Russell Wilson still going to be the backup quarterback? This is the modern NFL where the, being the backup quarterback to Jared Stidham doesn't mean he's not going to play in the game. And if he plays in the game, they still have the leveraged risk of injury. So to me, the, the first step that I don't understand is if you're not going to play him, why are you not just asking him to stay away from the facility see rob yeah that's a that's a completely odd i don't understand that either i don't know what the the angle is there and i thought the same thing is okay you're protecting him from injury with one layer and and then if that layer and that layer often gets removed in nfl games I mean, we've seen it uh it's the year of the backup right well now he's the backup <laughs> so i don't know if you think is he gonna operate better from the backup spot it's this isn't to challenge him though like, that's the thing to me. Um, I don't want people to walk out of this going, well, oh, well, this is Sean. You know, uh, he's doing something tactically to light a fire under this guy. It's not that. One of the things that I think is interesting about this, when I went through the Broncos, I, I you know, in the preseason, I'm watching him practice. And Sean stopped, like kept stopping the team at like various points during practice, like coming out of the huddle. He made them rehuddle at once. And I was talking to Jerry Judy and I'm like, what the hell is going on? And, and Judy was like, he didn't like the way we were breaking the huddle. Like, that's how detailed he is. He wants all his done right. Like every single tiny detail. And you should know the entire offensive playbook and all these different things. And so whether it's Stidham or not moving forward, it, it's clear that Russ just never really got there. Um, why he would still be out there on game day, though, <sighs> I don't know. I, it doesn't, it, it's just nonsensical to me that you're protecting him from injury, but you're continuing to roster him. I assume he's going to be active um, on game day. I don't know if this is because, well, he's a captain. You know, is there some fear that they're going to losing maybe some element of the locker room here by doing this? I didn't get that sense. Yeah, I don't. I, I wish I had an answer to that. And I went down the same avenue you did where I was like, you're just moving him down one spot and he could absolutely play. And, and what happens if Stidham gets hurt, we're all going to sit there and go, okay, <laughs> he's right back into, he's, he's in harm's way instantaneously. Uh, so it feels in some respects, like 
a major move, but also sort of a half measure if your goal is to make sure you're not on the hook for $37 million in 2025. Yeah, I don't understand how you can put him in a game. And like, if you look at the, the Broncos roster right now, the only quarterbacks they have on the active roster are Russell Wilson and Jared Stidham, but then they have Ben DiNucci, my old friend from the Dallas Cowboys, um, on the practice squad, who actually looks decent for them in the preseason. Um, I think you have to elevate him, and I don't think as an emergency quarterback. I don't understand how you can keep Russ as a backup, and I know that that's being reported now, and I, I believe that people in the organization are telling reporters that and that's why it's being reported now. But I, I would not be surprised if that changes by the weekend because you can't, you can't make a decision like this. I don't, and I don't know if they're just trying to like slow play Russ's emotions or they haven't told everyone in the organization, because I will say when it was told to me, like, Hey, Sean wanted to tell the team first and he did. I was very surprised because we've seen like, Andrew Luck retiring, like that being broken in the middle of the game, like things, things that are way more emotional than this, are leaked now. And so I think that it's very possible that this backup situation is not going to last till the weekend. Here's, here's the thing though. It's, it's Wednesday, right? Like we knew he's going to have to practice <laughs> like at some point, you know, like you gotta, you right. gotta be like, you don't want to tell guys I, my, I'm thinking like along the lines of a coach, like you're going to tell guys before practice, Hey, by the way, <laughs> like we're not, we're not rolling Russ out there as the starter. Uh, you know, you, you, I, I would guess you want to give guys time to get comfortable with it, but you're right. I was surprised that it held honestly as long as it did, because it wasn't like it was just a GM and a coach who knew this and a quarterback or a couple, you know, the quarterback room or whatever. It was literally the entire team. Uh, it was, it was shocking to me that this wasn't something that late last night, you know, someone lets it slip. And and if this is where Sean Payton and the organization is, I, I do think it's important to stress, look, this, this trade's already catastrophic. The only thing that can make this catastrophic trade worse for the Broncos is if they've decided they don't want Russ and God forbid he goes out one of these last two games, gets himself hurt and he's stuck on the books. I also think it's important to know real money versus fake money because we've talked about the guarantees. But, you know, I'll go to uh, SpotTrack or SpoTrack, however you say that. Uh, they tweeted out a breakdown of the cash. It should be noted 85 million in dead cap space, 39 million in cash in 2024. If they designate him a post-June first release, they can take 35 in 2024 and 49 in 2025. Any way you want to look at it, they're slicing up $85 million to get away from this court. If you're making the decision to splice up $85 million, whether you're taking it one year or two, if you're making that decision, C-Rob, you better be definitive in, definitive in it. You better have a plan for what you're doing next. Like You are acknowledging here, I'm going to set my entire organization back, but it's going to be okay because I have, I think that's what we're all waiting for. You have what, Sean Payton? Yeah, I'm well, that's you're moving on. Who are you moving on to? Right. That naturally becomes the next question. How do I put this? I will say that I think they feel like there are options out there for them. Now, what are those options? I don't know. I can't say. I mean, it's a good quarterback draft. Right. So first and foremost, um, you're going to have a number of quarterbacks that go uh, in, you know, at least in the top 10. You're probably looking at Caleb Williams, uh, Drake May, Jaden Daniels. Um Maybe J.J. McCarthy comes out. We'll see how Michael Penix works out. We'll see how Bo Nix. I mean, there's, there's, so there's still a lot of movement that I think can happen um, in this quarterback market. And as someone said to me I was when I was working on some other things and I was asking him to square up like the quarterbacks in the draft, they said, well, you know, some of these guys probably aren't going to have first round grades, but they're going to get drafted by teams in that latter half of that first round, just out of need. And now I'm kind of looking at these Broncos. Like, is that, is that sort of what they're going to have to lean into here? Stidham, obviously they'll get this look at Stidham. You know, Josh McDaniels thought a lot of him when they benched Derek Carr and wanted to get a look at Stidham. Stidham came out, played really well that first game. And, and yet this was a guy that, that really didn't stick there and they go the Jimmy Garoppolo route. So do I think that's going to be any different in Denver? I don't know, but I, I'll say this too. There were other moves made by Sean Payton over the course of this year that speak to him really being at the controls here. Randy Gregory, right? Moving on from Randy Gregory, moving on from uh, Frank Clark, right? There was this move to try to get to younger players, and it almost feels like the reboot for this franchise started in those moves. And then this was the big one still left on the books. So whether they designate it as a post-June and split that cap hit over two years, or they just decide, hey, we can finesse 
the money that we have on the books for 2024 and just take the asteroid strike in one year, which I think would be ideal. It's just, can you do it and not carve out um, some veterans on that roster? They'll figure out a way to, to get around this. But I would say what this is, we're going to see the Broncos now turning into a wave of young players. And it's going to be, I, I don't want to say it's going to be like a total reboot, but it's, we're starting over. If you're getting, if you're getting rid of Russ and, and, you know, this is the direction you're going. You're starting over in some respects. Yeah, I'm thinking back to C-Rob's Raiders column from training camp when he found every single synonym and more for the word rebuild. Um, I think that's kind of what we got going on here, whether you want to call it competitive or not. I mean, this team was competitive this year, but they're getting rid of that. I'm actually surprised. I was just looking up what picks they still have um, that they're missing. And I, I was forgetting that like all the Russell Wilson trade picks, like you don't have any more lost picks. Those are 2022 and 2023. And then for Sean Payton, because again, remember, they didn't just hire him. They had to trade for him. They they had the first round pick last year, and then it was switching their second and third. So it's really just a second for a third this year. Now, again, they're not at the top of the draft order because they have been winning games because they're a decent team, particularly in the middle of the season this year. But I think that... Uh, I think I thought it was going to be a little more improbable for them to move up and maybe just as long as they're willing to sacrifice their future. And if they think that that's what their rookie quarterback who, Hey, you get rid of some draft capital, but you believe in the quarterback enough that you'll have him on a rookie contract for five years, then it's, it's a little more workable than I thought with the dead cap. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like when we think about this, you can't go, the, it feels like you can't go the veteran route, right? Because any decent veteran is going to make some coin now. Like it's not, uh, even if it's, let's say it's like Gardner Minshew, right? <laughs> like you said, you're going to, Gardner Minshew is going to make, I mean, if he's going to start somewhere, he's at least 20 million on the books. I mean, minimum, like, I mean, I'm talking like low tier, unless you're going and getting a straight up, like Joe Flacco type of bridge. And you're just like, Hey, but I don't think Joe, Joe Flacco is more than a bridge. Haven't you been watching? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> we're we're going to get to that later in the show. But I mean, like, any quarterback that goes in there, even if it's for one year, let's say it's it's the Josh McCown plan, right? No agent is signing up their quarterback to be a starter for a season for $10 million, which is, again, with this money on the books, I just don't see what the route is, what the path is. That's not a rookie quarterback contract. And another thing, too, if it's a rookie quarterback contract, you would kind of want to be able to get a guy that can start this year, right? You don't want, you're not going to get a rookie quarterback, say in the first round, who you're going to have sitting, taking, taking the red shirt in, in 2024. No, you, it has to be, I would say this has got to be like one of the top three quarterbacks in the draft, or if McCarthy, JJ McCarthy goes, maybe the top four quarterbacks in the draft um, has to come out and start for you uh, pretty quickly. So I, I don't see any path other than a rookie here next season. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I would also add to that quickly, C-Rob. You know, I think pride is the downfall of man. We all know that. And I, I former players will tell you that coaches have a ton of pride. I'm not saying that pride is a downfall of Sean Payton. I'm just saying that it's pretty feasible. I just put your shoes on the other foot. Payton looks at a bunch of these young quarterbacks and says, you know what? I see stuff I can work with there. We're not really like I can work with the fourth or fifth best quarterback. It's going to be fine. And you know, I was talking to a college coach last week about why he prefers high school kids to transfer portal kids. And his answer kind of stuck in my head was, I don't have to reteach them anything when I get them as a, as a kid. And I, I keep thinking of that, that moment for Sean Payton. If you spent all year reteaching Russ, what you want to learn, you can be looking at Bo Nix and saying, you know what? He might be the fifth best quarterback to everybody else. I see enough workable there that I can make that work. Like between the understanding of like Sean Payton has confidence in his ability. Obviously he's going to need somebody young, Maybe he's comfortable with that, Jory. I don't know. I also think if I'm a veteran quarterback, I'm like, I don't want to get anywhere near Jarrett Stidham because like how many guys can continue to be benched for him in December? But definitely it seems like the, the rookie quarterback is the move and it's still a bold move like before you can even go through the pre-draft process in depth to say like we are making this decision. I think that Arizona showed us a little bit of a blueprint though for like when they got rid of Dondre Hopkins and they're like, we're just going to take the money now and some of what they did with Kyler's contract and we'll see exactly what they want to do with him. But I do think they showed us like sometimes Sometimes you just need to make these decisions sooner rather than later. But do you guys think that when Sean Payton took this job last offseason, he expected this to be the move that that happened? And do you think he expected it within the year? I think naturally inside that building, 
if you let's say you are someone inside that building that's looking at Russ and saying, I don't know, he feels viable. Like it feels like there was progress made. Yeah. Okay. There's some frustrating things. Yeah. Maybe there's still some inability to grasp every nuance of the offense. Yeah. Maybe the fine details of what he's doing at the line of line of scrimmage is it's not exactly where it needs to be right now. And then you see something like this happen, but you think Russ is a viable player. You're going to ask yourself naturally, was this cooked in the books? Like the, the, did Sean make this decision in July? Did he make it in September? Did he make it in October? Like how long have we waited or how long did he wait before he pulled the plug? And did, was he always standing there with his hand on the plug going, I'm just, all right, when can I pull it? Uh, okay. We're not going to be, you know, they go, what's the last four games really, they fell out of being competitive and then that's it. So he's like, oh, I was just waiting for them to not be competitive and to feel like he hit a wall with them. I'm very curious now to see how the organization functions moving forward, because I don't know what this means for general manager, George Payton could mean nothing. They could be George, George could be taking the path of, Hey, I'm, I'm the GM. I'm here to work with Sean. So if Sean doesn't, if, if this isn't working for Sean, he's my coach. Like I'm like, I'm going to work in his favor. So if we got to pull the plug on a guy that I extended, I traded for all these things, I'm willing to do that. That's just how it's got to happen. Obviously it happened with other veterans earlier in the season. Those were, you know, guys that George Payton had brought in, pulled the plug on them and, you know, it seemed to make a difference. But I, I think it's it's hard for me to see all this happening right now and not think it's not at least a little messy in there in terms of how this is operating. And maybe this is Sean trying to be like, okay, it's going to be a little messy, but now everybody knows. I'm the guy here. Like, I'm, I'm, I might as well be, you know, the GM because I'm making a decision like this. You're sort of a de facto GM when you're pulling the plug on a quarterback of this stature and who's got that much money on the books. If I'm Russ, I'm like, give me my office back. Give me my personal trainer in the building back. <laughs> like, if you you wanted me to be part of the team, so you took away this stuff, I'm no longer part of the team and your vision for its future, like, give me back. But on a more serious note, where do you guys expect, expect Russell Wilson to be next year? Do you expect him to be a starter, a backup, not in the league? Where will he be playing? I mean, Denver will be paying him in the sense of like the money will have already gone to him. So there's too many bad quarterbacks for him not to get a job somewhere, but I can't, I have a hard time accepting that. I mean, there's just a stigma of, okay, uh, let's be real here. When we look at Russ, we're, we're not just looking at Sean Payton. This is two incredibly renowned coaches in a row that have looked and been like, nah, not worth it. Like, I, I think we have to now at least include the Seattle Pete Carroll chapter in this conversation and say, Pete Carroll was like, now nah, we're good, man. You want to go somewhere else? We'll be just fine. Sean Payton looks around and says, we're good, man. We're going to be just fine. Like those are not bad coaches. Those are not coaches that don't belong in the league. Two quality coaches give up on a quarterback. I have a hard time believing that that's a quarterback I can bank on. First off, you know, I don't think anyone's going to want to pay him um, anywhere near, you know, top quarterback pay or maybe even mid-level quarterback pay at this stage because they've seen what happened in Denver. I, I don't know. Like there's I will say this at the time that the trade happened. And I think people forget this at the time that that trade happened. There are multiple teams lining up interested in Russ. OK, and so there's going to be this revisionist history where people are going to go, wow, what a up like how could they do that and this is so bad and what a mistake at the time it was not a mistake and there were multiple franchises that were ready to go trade for this guy so they did what any number of teams you know I heard five five teams were like ready to go get Russ at that point and you know so you're like well how much of that has worn off in two years I don't know it's it's hard to answer at this point especially when we don't know what the quarterback landscape is going to look like a number of teams are going to draft again guys in the first round so, you know, three, four guys are going to be first round picks at the quarterback position. I would scratch them off those teams because you're drafting the future of your position there. OK, the Raiders, like what happens with the Raiders? What happens with Tampa if, if Baker doesn't stay there? Although I think Baker's probably now written into the long term plans there. Uh, Washington, you know, with Sam Howell. It's a lot of teams that are going to need quarterbacks that aren't in the position to draft a quarterback that's obviously capable of starting as a rookie. Um, and to me, that those doors will all be potentially open for Russell Wilson. Not everybody agrees with Sean Payton, okay? And, and another thing, too, that I will bring up here. 
I heard Sean Payton complain about Drew Brees at times, okay? Like, be pissed off with how Drew Brees was running his offense at times. Now, I'm not saying you didn't like Drew Brees. He loved Drew Brees, obviously. There's no question. They became Hall of Famers together, right? They won the Super Bowl together. He was clearly frustrated at times, at times with Drew. I think people know Sean. They know he has a Kyle Shanahan-esque ability where a guy goes into his doghouse. He's really not coming out. We just didn't have to see that at the quarterback position for a long time um, in, in New Orleans. So, you know, I think people are going to look at it and say, okay, well, maybe Sean couldn't work with Russ, but we can because here's our other options and they're not great. And Russ is definitely better than these. But I'm glad you bring that up because I think on one hand, we're focusing this on Sean and Russ from a schematic fit and from a way they prepare for the game fit were not a good match. Last year, we were talking all about Russ. Are people going to his birthday party? Is he the right kind of leader? Is he too fake? And so I think you have this question where I'd say, one, how much is Russ's personality as opposed to his football ability? Part of the problem here is his personality part of the problem with the football ability if he's certain like in the zone where he's just not preparing in a certain way. And if it's just a football scheme thing, that's fine. But I feel like after teams see what happened last year, it's not that no one will take him because like you said, he's way too talented for it to be a problem. But I think if you need a leader, it's like there's a few knocks on this guy in terms of how he interacts with the team already that will hurt him even more probably than Sean Payton not giving him the seal of approval. I'm imagining Antonio Pierce just dealing with the saccharine, you know, Russell Wilson as he comes into the <laughs> locker room. That feels like uh, oil and water on that, see, Rob? I can't say where, you know, it aligns here. I would I would almost have to go back and look at who on that Seattle staff um, that has been around Russ, um, where are they now? You know, I, I mean, like – what about Dan Quinn? Like if Dan Quinn gets a job somewhere, could he put to any, and if there's no quarterback there, could Dan Quinn go, Hey, you know, I know this guy. I, you know, I spent time with him. He can come in and be a starter for us for a period of time until we figure it out. Or, you know, I, Jory could probably speak to, to Dan's mindset with Russ better than I could, but I would go back and start to look at some of those um, Seattle staffs, the offensive staffs and, and guys that had success with them, see where they are now in the NFL um, or, you know, who are they close to? Because that's the thing too. If you're going to sign Russ, if Russ gets released or whatever, however this goes down, if you're going to pursue Russell Wilson, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to reach out to anybody who you know that you're tight with. And you're going to say, what's the problem here? Like what the hell's going on? Because realistically three years ago, we were looking at him and going, you know, hall of famer, super bowl winner, all these different things. Oh, he just needs a change of scenery. When he gets a change of scenery, it'll, you know, it'll be the old Russ, the the moonball Russ that everybody loved. And um, we can, I know the whole personality thing. We, we get into the weeds on that. Just if he wins and he performs, nobody yeah. gives a about what his personality yeah. is. No, you're right. Like that's the bottom line. You know, guys, they've been total who were great quarterbacks and you just deal with it. <laughs> I, I, I want to take one other angle on all of this though and ask you guys a, a question are we now allowed to look back at sean payton's decision to take this job with mm. somewhat of a critical eye because at the time my question was why would sean payton want to go into the afc west where he has to take on patrick mahomes and andy Reid, justin herbert whoever that coach ends up being he wasn't going to get a job to, was he not going to get a job <laughs> anywhere he else he got two games no. a year against your Raiders. He I mean, that's, from, yeah, so that's fair. No, he was he was going back. He was there was no question in my look. There was no question in my mind that Sean knew. Yeah, why don't we trade um, Sean away and leave Russ there? <laughs> oh boy, I'm going to stay away from that. Mm -hmm. uh, no, he wasn't getting it. No, the, yeah, like the front I, office toward, would be okay. Toward with that. the end of that whole thing, when he'd gone out and he'd been with multiple different teams, all of a sudden. There, uh, there was some stuff that started. Well, maybe he, maybe this won't be the rotation for him. Maybe this year the rotation isn't, you know, the right fit. And then all of a sudden, you know, then he goes back and Denver circles back to him after Denver pursued Jim Harbaugh hard as hell. And, and that didn't, that just wasn't coming to fruition. So then they return and they go back to, to Sean Payton as option one. Um, I don't think there was any question. He, like, if it was going to be Denver or I don't think there was going to be another job for him, particularly given what his salary 
uh, ask was at that point. I mean, uh, he was probably going to end up back in TV for a year, and and then maybe the next happy there. I mean, yeah, I'd rather be I'd rather be on TV making the TV money he's making working limited hours than have to deal with what they're going to deal with now. Because as we've been the whole crux of this conversation is that they're hamstrung. And now when everybody wants to use the word rebuild, but it looks like the Broncos are going to have to enter a rebuild, which means it's going to take a couple of years probably for them to get where they want to be. And guess what? At the end of that couple, that's if they hit on a quarterback in the draft, if they draft, like this is the Belichick thing all over again. If they don't draft Mac Jones, then maybe they can be okay on the rebuild. If they do, they're going to be in this endless cycle, just, like the Patriots are of like, it's not as easy when you don't have a hall of fame coach with a hall of fame quarterback. It feels that way. But you know, if you, if you hit on the quarterback, things can look at, look at Houston, man. Like, look at, look at how fast Houston's turned. Now, granted different coach, you know, big culture change, I think in the organization from the coaching staff out, but CJ Stroud really opened up the entire world for Houston. So say they say it's like Jaden Daniels, right? They go out and they, they get him. And he comes in. I mean, if everything changes for you, if you, especially if that guy is that guy as a rookie, if instantaneously he can step in and he doesn't have to be CJ Stroud. Obviously, we're talking about like he was playing at a historical clip. But if you just come in, you know, he's a dude. We got him. Okay. Everybody starts working and you start building and molding around that player. I think things can um, change for you pretty quickly. But uh, as you said, you got a hit and, and I just don't know where, let's see where their draft pick falls. Let's see what, you know, it's funny because when I was talking to somebody about Bo Nix, um, out of Oregon, they were saying, yeah, you know, he's a lot, he's a lot like breeze, got some breeze qualities to him. And I was like, when this happened, I'm like, yeah, like, flashing like, lights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like hey, hey, Bo Nix is the quarterback for the Denver Broncos. I, and I hear all that. I just, again, this is me, my jaded life experience, because I'll, I'll take your, you know, great core. I'll take your CJ Stroud and raise you to Marcus Russell. But even, right, even right. outside of that example, a Zach Wilson, a Justin Fields, and we're still trying to figure out how good he can be. Like, I, I totally understand the concept. I just think when you are a legend as a head coach and he perceives himself that way, and so did we when he got that job, I just look back and I say. I love that you started that not by he is one, but that he perceives himself as one. I mean, I think we say legend a little bit too, uh, too we're doing a little too flippant with that. But Continue. when you've accomplished what he's accomplished, it's easy to think, hey, I'm going to get it right again. But man, I think that just what we've learned in this new England chapter is that maybe we downplayed that it wasn't bill or Brady. Maybe it was the two of them together. And I think there's at least the opportunity at some point to learn, was it breeze or was it Peyton or was it the two um, of them together? You don't just get another, you're, you're not just going to get another drew breeze more often than not. Okay. But to be fair, there were times where Teddy Bridgewater was the starter, you know, in, in new Orleans yeah, and had a, had a, had a small sample size, but he played well for Sean. I mean, he, he made Teddy a viable starter again briefly in the league um, uh, with, with Sean Payton. Uh, Jameis Winston. I mean, I'm, no, I don't those think... Are like, those are very fair examples. That is a very know, fair comment. I, I think at times he was able to get the most out of what the players were essentially bringing to the table. I think he's a great play caller, but I think he is at a point in his career, and he's. I think he's always kind of been like this, but he's cranky. Like, he's not... And and I think what you said about not having to reteach things, right? I think that's a huge component that people should really be paying attention to. I think you're right. I think you get a young guy. I don't care who you draft. Those guys aren't really that stubborn, right? They, they come in. They don't know what the hell's going on. Things are going so fast. They're looking for somebody to cling on to and go, okay, just <laughs> like help me, help me figure this out. Like help me get this right. A lot of veterans aren't like that. You know, you're coming from this system or that system. I don't want to run a motion offense or, you know, and and it's going to be a completely uh, clean slate with with a rookie. I think he can do it. I do. I think if they they draft the quarterback he likes, who he feels like he can really uh, work with, I, I I would be shocked if they absolutely blew that and got it wrong. I just think that even though I would trust Sean Payton more than just about anyone in the league, not to mess it up, to say that you'd be shocked if we got it wrong. Like the people I would trust most on who they want as quarterback is Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Sean Payton. And it has not been very long since Kyle Shanahan, who we respect a lot and particularly a lot offensively, traded all up, got a guy, and then That's didn't true. want him. Yeah. 
but I, I think he would try to tell you now he's talked into it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> who, who would? I, you know, it wasn't me. That's, that's the, like, we're just going to let every coaching press conference start with the Shaggy song. It wasn't me. Jory, go check it out. It's a good song. You'd like it. Uh, uh, Sam Howell, by the way, while we're talking quarterbacks, I do want to quickly get this news. And Howell bench, we asked about starters. Is Howell going to be a starter somewhere next year? I, I I can't figure out how much of this is about, again, the, the this is see Rob shaking his head. No, you're out on you're out on Howell as the future starter. I don't think he's going to be a star. I, he holds the ball too long. I mean, he gets killed. Like he just, it, it. The guy is almost incapable. I think at this stage of protecting himself, and and I think that's. Some people are going to look at like just numbers, and they're going to go, "Well, Jesus, numbers." You know, he, he had these really good games, and no, I mean the sacks were so much on Howell and and how he played the position. Do I think? Do I think he could go somewhere else or or exist somewhere? Uh, first off. I think he stays where he is. They go and they get a different quarterback. And then if Howell becomes viable, you know, further on down the road and learns to get the ball out of his hands rather than get himself destroyed, um, you know, he, he could be fine. You know, but I, I would almost look at him like like a Drew Locke. You know, Drew Locke had his shot as a starter in Denver. It was clear to them that he you know, he just wasn't going to be the dude. Just won a game more recently, Drew Locker, Russell Wilson. <laughs> wow. Wow. I, I I think Drew, though, you know. Who's led is... a game-winning drive more recently, Drew Locker, <laughs> Russell Wilson, against a winning team that Poor could Russ, have man. a home playoff you know, game. You know what? Poor Russ, because he has not had a terrible season. He no, no, he's actually played well, and no one's talked about him being like a personality issue at the locker room all year. So that's why this is so surprising. Yeah, and, and I'll go back to something Dan Orlovsky tweeted earlier. Orlovsky tweeted, look at the tape. Russ has played pretty well for most of this season. Doesn't mean he's playing pretty well right now. It just means he has played well enough. I, I, this is it's, it's going to be really interesting. I'm with you. I'm not sure that there's a lot of legs for Sam Howell, but there are legs everywhere for Joe Flacco. This has become maybe the coolest story in the NFL this year. Uh, obviously, we want to start making comps. See, Rob, you've got a great article out there talking about you know the flacking and the Nick Foles Super Bowl run. Had me in my feels here because I kind of love the analogy simply because both Foles and Flacco are cool, calm, and collected in everything they do. So, like, is Joe Flacco about to take the Browns on some massive run? Well, they're not. Both Foles and Flacco are, like, they're just good guys. Like, they're not bad. You know, they're just – I haven't talked to him in, in a long time. I'll put it that way. I talked to him in Baltimore a long time ago a few times. I thought he was a really super boring dude. And I still think there's a lot of that that's there. But, like, you, they're likable guys in these situations, you know, where it's like, okay, hey – like you can see how happy Flacco is playing football right now. You've seen the post game, like locker rooms where he's talking to his teammates about, you know, how fortunate he feels to be, you know, to be out there starting again, which is absolutely, I get it. Like he was sitting on his couch seven, eight weeks ago, the train had gone. Well, I was talking about I've I, years and years ago, someone told me the NFL is a train. And when you get off the train, it's hard to, to get back on again. And if you're pushed off the train, you're never, it's gone. It's long gone. And then you, you sit there and you spend all this time thinking about being on the train that has left you behind. It had left him behind. Like he was done. I think he was, this was it. He was finished. And then he gets pulled out, you know, pulled off the scrap heap by the Browns. He's still got a cannon for an arm. That was the first thing when I started watching, I'm like, Oh my God, Joe Flacco still got an arm. Like it's, and you can see how the team has rallied around him. Um, He's by no means perfect, makes a lot of mistakes, um, or at least a couple big ones each game. But he has a defense in Cleveland. My God, they continue to play well, even with injuries like Jim Schwartz. That defense, they are just it's it's so impressive. And they can carry Flacco through these mistakes, which I think is what is bonding that team together right now is they're looking at this quarterback and they're saying, hey, you know what? He's going to screw up a couple of times, but he's also going to put points on the board. There's Amari Cooper has been unlocked. Uh, uh, David Njoku is is unlocked. Like, look at their last four games between Njoku and and Amari Cooper, and they're they're putting up fantastic numbers. And you know, so I think the defense is like, hey, we got something here. We we got a guy who can put points on the board. We just have to try to help minimize the mistakes that happen. And what? Okay, so let's see. Pass path to the number one seed in the AFC. The three things that they needed, okay, Baltimore, 
has to finish 12 and five, right? They have to finish, they have to win out, right? Okay, it's number one. Baltimore has to finish 12 and five, so they have identical records because they have the tiebreakers over Baltimore. The third oh, one yeah. was, was the least likely component. Article, I was like, wow. I don't know what journey you went on to figure out this playoff <laughs> yeah, formula, was, but I feel like I'm on a journey just reading it. It, was, okay, it, took, it did. It took time. It was like <laughs> I was like, like, why are you not filing? And I'm like, I'm trying to figure this out. And, yeah, and I was so, like, this seems beyond what the New York Times but, playoff predictor was spitting out. But the the component I was staring at was I was like, oh, you know, it's going to screw them. I'm like, it's possible they finish 12 and five. Um, uh, that Baltimore finishes 12 and five. They have tiebreakers. It's possible they win out. It's possible that the Bills, the uh, the only game that the Bills drop is I or no, the only game that I think Miami could lose, like Miami had to win all their games, so they had to lose their season finale at, at uh, against Buffalo. I was like, that's possible. Okay, so I'm like, but then I was like, oh no, well this isn't going to happen. The the Chiefs have to lose one of their last three games, and then they did. <laughs> I was like, the the component where I was like, they're going to be screwed it happens immediately. I read this on Monday, and I was like, <laughs> wait what's going on yeah (laughs) yeah well that should have been probably should go in and tweak that if anybody reads the piece now i it's a fun story i think it's it leans into this year i know you keep hearing all these people saying you're the backup quarterback it really has been and i do think flacco and that deep i think flacco is good enough to score points i think that defense is good enough to protect him and it's a team i really would not want to play it's like the rams and the nfc and the browns and the afc i i would not want to with them in the playoffs because they just feel like teams that are on a heater and really confident in their quarterbacks got everybody kind of clicking right now now those are two teams i want to see i think it's interesting too the way you say that c rob because i was doing an interview for a radio station last night they asked me about the browns and i said look we all know defense travels but there's another component to this in a world where we have a lot of young quarterbacks in the playoffs right now is there a quarterback in this year's playoffs that has seen more with more on the line than Joe damn Flacco. Like at some point we got to remember he went into a Super Bowl in a year where he said, nah, I'm a bank on it. And I'm gonna go ahead and get my money at the end of all of that. Like he had his financial future on the line with the Super Bowl. And he's like, I'm good. I can handle this. He's also played on teams with great defenses and knows what it means when you have to mitigate some of your decisions for that. Like he's been in this situation. He understands big football and none of it's too daunting for it. There isn't, um, there's nothing you're going to throw at Joe Flacco. He hasn't already seen with more money on the line than he's making now. Like I just, I feel like he could play free and easy and we can't say that about everybody. And I think there were even a couple moments with the jets, honestly, where I was like, Hmm, you know, Flacco still seems like he's got a little bit to offer. You know, like I, I didn't think he could be a starter again, but I was like, yeah, I, I would. I was surprised, frankly, when he who wasn't a backup somewhere because, as we know, I mean, there's there's a lot of bad backups in the league too. Um, given what he showcased with the Jets, I just figured, well, you know, he's old and he's he's got cement feet. He still can't move. My God, he can't. And although at one point there was there was a point in in uh, this week's win where. I, I almost clipped it because he did run a little bit. Like <laughs> he had like this moment where he kind of like he moved. I was like, oh, I'm like he just like moved like six yards pretty fast. Like kept himself out of danger. So I'm I'm here for it. It's fun, right? Like it feels like a fun story. Yeah, credit to Joe and also a ton of credit to Kevin Stefanski. I think that for this team to be doing what it's doing with four different quarterbacks is just incredible. I mean, when they made that trade for Deshaun Watson and kind of like we've been talking about in Denver, you could. You could have a, a good question about coaching, front office ownership, who actually wanted that Deshaun Watson trade. But this team is winning in spite of Deshaun Watson, not because of Deshaun Watson. And I think that speaks volumes to the front office and the coaching staff and the roster and the culture they've built there. I fully expect Kevin Stefanski to be around for a long time. And I think that when I was, I've been doing a lot of research lately on sort of like what it takes to win with backup quarterbacks and what it takes for an organization to be successful for an extended stretch without its starting quarterback. And something that I've heard from a lot of coaches and execs is this idea of like a backup quarterback is by nature limited in skill set or physical ability relative to the starter. That's usually how they became a backup. And so how can your coach and how can your play caller maximize what they can do and play to their strengths, not just run your scheme and hope they can do it, but figure out like, how can you minimize the weaknesses and how can you play up their strengths? And I think Kevin Stefanski is really showing that with what we saw from Joe Flacco and Amari Cooper this past weekend. I would argue their organization organization um because of the intersection of all the injuries and 
the the multitude of different quarterbacks that have started swapping out a defensive coordinator. I think you could argue Stefanski for coach of the year. I think you could argue Jim Schwartz for assistant coach of the year. And I think you could argue Andrew Barry as a GM because there's a lot of like young pieces here that are doing really, really well. You know, there's he's he. Uh, there's there's just it's a roster that was Jeremiah or Lusu Jeremiah for president (laughs) uh, (laughs) it's it's fun to watch them and see the two deep was pretty good which obviously shows that your front office did its job um once they got the quarterback situation figured out with this guy and and it was a decision too right like it wasn't like a no-brainer it wasn't you know Flacco was at home it's not like, well, obviously that's the guy we go and get. I, I keep directing people to that, pic, you know, the picture on the flight where the Cleveland Browns next quarterback just got on my flight or however, whatever the, the yeah, sentence I was. And just that like, I saw your article so, this week. That was re- funny. Re- reading all the responses, you know, every, oh my God, like people are just losing their, no way though. It was not an easy decision to make. And I think even the way Andrew Barry did it by basically saying to Kevin Stefanski, vet him. Like I'm going to before before I chime in or do anything, I want you to vet this guy and tell me what you hear, what you feel, how you you know, what you think about him. Um, That's a plus, too. And the synergy between a head coach and a general manager when the GM says, hey, you know what? This is your quarterback. So you go out, you you look into him, you figure it out, you scout him, you vet him, you look at the tape, you talk to people and then you tell me what you think. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy for the Browns. I think we also have to give Cleveland credit because it's been, what, a month, six weeks since we were talking about how they got rid of Josh Dobbs and how much they should regret that. Like, look where Josh Dobbs is now and look where Joe Flacco is right now. A hundred percent. That's that's very fair. And I will say, as you guys praised Stefanski, several years ago, I talked to somebody that was a coach for Amari Cooper at one point in his career. And I asked him about the inconsistencies of Amari Cooper. If you go back and look at the numbers, big game, little game, big game, little game. And I asked, I said, why? You know, what What was the thing in the locker room that you figured out? And the coach looked at me and he laughed and he said, if I knew the why, I probably still have my job. And he said, the fact is, we, nobody could ever figure it out. But sometimes you just lost him. And when you lost him, you couldn't get him back in. It was Amari's time. Amari came back around when Amari was ready to come back around. And when he was engaged, he was the best ever. And when he wasn't, you simply couldn't reach him. And I I think about that when I see him play as well as he's playing C-Rob to your point over the last month, they've reached him. Like they found a way to make sure that they are engaged with Amari Cooper. I think that speaks to coaching. I think that speaks to the inside of the organization. That trade. I, I remember when Andrew Barry made that trade and I thought to myself, like, man, like you're paying, paying this guy $20 million. I'm like, you know, clearly the Cowboys didn't, didn't want to pay this. Uh, you know, it was, it was only a fifth round pick. And I know the way that they approached it at the time was, okay, we have our one and, but we have an exit too. Like when we look at the deal, we know we'll prepare. And if we have to replace them as a one, we're going to get there with these other players. But then once we was in the fold there, I think they felt like, no, actually the talent's great. The contract's going to look good pretty quickly. And it did. They call, I mean, they really called it perfectly. Every, Every time he has a big game, like this past weekend, I go and I get into the Dallas Cowboys mentions mm. and I start looking at just what the Cowboys fans losing their minds over. That'll they'll never get over that deal. I got to tell you, though, because I keep I, I see it in my mentions, too. And again, most of my followers are Cowboys followers. So it's like really, I, I'm cracking up when like I'm tweeting something about the Ravens being physical and not wanting to play against guys who want to play basketball on grass. And my mentions are like, if only the Cowboys would be this physical. And I'm like, this is about the Ravens and the 49ers. So thank you so much for engaging. But that said, I don't know if this is a hot take. I still think it was the right move by the Cowboys. And I loved working with Amari. He was one of my favorite players to work with. So thoughtful. So like thoughtful about the way he was running his routes and also about all of his other interests, learning languages, books, investments, all these types of things. That said, I don't like the Cowboys weren't saying Amari Cooper is worth a fifth round pick. They were saying we now have CD lamb. You can't pay two guys, number one money. And we can't pay Amari the number one money anymore that we know he deserves. So let's get something out. Now, should they have gotten a third or fourth? I think they should have, but they also knew they were getting rid of that salary. And CD lamb is the number one that they have and that they need. And, And you can't really have both of those guys and a top quarterback and a Micah Parsons and a Demarcus Lawrence in today's world. It's, it's yeah. the comp though. That's what that's what Cowboys fans always complain about. Like, how do we only get a fifth out of this guy? And it, and every time a receiver gets traded, 
for anything above a fifth. I instantly <laughs> see Cowboys fans are like, how do we only get a fifth out of Amari if they're getting this out of this guy? Uh, rare, rare moment where I can brag about anything, but let's remember the Raiders got a first for him. <laughs> okay, but I will also say, I'm actually glad you brought up your point about um, about Amari's like kind of mental state in Las Vegas, because I remember when he came to Dallas, and again, this is October 2018, 18 uh, that they trade him at the trade deadline. We had heard a lot as media, like, oh, he's not media friendly, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like you start to talk to him, and it's like he was just in a really bad headspace in Oakland. And he wasn't in Dallas. Now, I'm, I will agree that he was inconsistent sometimes in play, and whether that was more injuries or mentally or just sort of like road versus home, he usually had pretty significantly different splits with the Cowboys. Those are all good questions. But I think that like he has consistently become in a better headspace at each stop he's gone. And like it, just the media experience we had was totally different than we had in Oakland. And obviously his job is not to talk to the media, it's to play football, but there was often a pretty significant correlation between how he was doing in both of those. So um, I definitely just think like the guy they're getting, forget the physical ability that he's had all along. He's in a totally different headspace. The way I would always like check his headspace, this was kind of a funny thing is when he was in Oakland, he taught himself to do the Rubik's cube and how to solve it. And it was like a whole thing that he could solve a Rubik's cube. And he did a three by three. And then he told me once that um, he had gone to Barnes and Noble and found a four by four Rubik's cube and he wanted to, to teach himself to do it. And a few weeks later, I went back to him in the locker room and I said like, Hey, have you taught yourself? How, like, how, how's the Rubik's cube coming? He's like, Oh, I actually haven't tried it yet. He's like, when I did the Rubik's cube in Oakland, it was because there was so much noise and so much going on that was like hurting me mentally that I needed the Rubik's cube as an escape. And so I'm saving this Rubik's cube until I need it. And he never needed it the rest of his time in Dallas. And to me, it was always like, Oh, like I would ask him, it was sort of like our code of like, have you done the four by four? And if he had it, it meant he hadn't had another like dip in his spirits. And I, and then when I saw him at training camp this year, still he hadn't done it. So, um, I, I do, agree with you that that is a factor and also like I'm really happy for him personally that he seems to have continued to have been in like a generally better head it's a good story that's interesting and as somebody that constantly champions the importance of mental health I think that's a beautiful thing also it speaks to the fact that we have to acknowledge environment means so much to players when they're successful or when they're not successful like we love to sit here and, and label every player as a bust and sometimes we have to remind, remind ourselves that the culture that we don't see creates a lot of what we do see on Sundays uh, let's let's have a little bit of fun as we wrap up the episode and go through some of the bigger stories right now but we're going to do it in in New Year's fashion, ball droppers. Uh, who's dropped the ball and how much panic do we have for it? So feel free to, to hum along old Lang Syne if you want, but only if you're not tone deaf. And uh, we'll give you some some stories here. We'll yeah, figure we out. If, uh, yeah, you know, I will be very judgy about it. That's why I never had kids. Uh, so as the ball drops, how much of these teams drop the ball? That is the question. Stone has written it perfectly. Great job by our producer, Stone. Uh, follow him on Twitter, at Jay Rochelle. Brock Purdy throws four interceptions on Monday night. C-Rob shakes his head what's the panic meter see rob those four interceptions two of them were terrible okay they were 100 on him bad reads didn't see players um two of them weren't that bad they were ricochets okay not perfectly thrown balls obviously those are problematic um so he played into it but they weren't clean okay it wasn't him throwing it into the guts of of a player that he just didn't see I think they're going to be fine, okay? And and I am still a believer that it's good to kind of get humbled right before the playoffs. And by the way, it's not right before the playoffs. They still have a couple games to get themselves right back where they need to be. I, I don't think it's been a bad thing to get smacked around a little bit in, in December, even if it's in late December, and realize, hey, okay, we're not perfect. We are vulnerable. We do need to be healthy, and everybody's got to be ready at – at a moment's notice against any team that we play. The only thing that I think this could change is I wonder is, is if Kyle goes, okay, we're going to go back to him. <laughs> like he's going to throw 20, 20 to 25 times a game. And that's what we're going to cap it at. We're not going to have this exceed 25 times a game um, because that's when we get ourselves in trouble. We're going to be a running physical defensive type of team when we get into the playoffs. 
Yeah, I'm not concerned about Brock Purdy at all. I think if the question is, is Brock Purdy going to win MVP? Yeah, you should be concerned. Is the question, right. can Brock yeah. <laughs> Purdy quarterback the San Francisco 49ers at a really high level and take them deep into the playoffs and possibly even to a Super Bowl title? I'm not concerned. I think uh, c is actually harsher on his interceptions than Kyle Shanahan was because Kyle said he only thought one of them was really a problem. The first uh, interception that he threw in the red zone, he misread the coverage, tried to throw it to Debo when he shouldn't have relative to his progressions. And on top of that he threw it a little later and so then you have Kyle Hamilton get his first of two um two interceptions but it, it, yeah two of them were tipped and then you also have the last one where he was hit and so I don't completely absolve him of responsibility but the issue wasn't that he made the bad decision relative to how he read it it was that he needs to be more willing to throw it away and he talked about that at length after the game Brock Purdy said that I need to know that like punting is okay and there are times when punting is the best decision and that he kind of felt this pressure after they got down because again they hadn't had a lot of adversity the previous few games like I think they'd won something like six straight by double digits maybe it was five and so they really hadn't been playing from behind and now he knows like it doesn't really matter if we're from behind I can't start getting crazy um but he's gonna be fine and also like what the Ravens did most teams, if not every other team, don't have the firepower to do that to the 49ers. The Ravens, I think, if they played them 10 times, would be able to do it that way two and a half out of 10 times because they had like an unusually lucky and well-timed game that really screwed with the timing of the 49ers offense. The one thing I will say that I, I read that I, I agree with is that um, basically by taking the run out of the 49ers game, they took out the ways that Kyle Shanahan is able to marry the run in the past and just like totally mix up defenses. And so I do think that if you can get a lead on the 49ers, you take out one of the best things they can rely on in terms of why their scheme works. I just think it's really hard to get that lead on the 49ers to do that. So I love the rule of three. It's what I love in everything that I try and analyze. So how's the team playing? Well, let's look at a three-game stretch. Is this quarterback any good? I think you don't know until you get to year three. I only say that because we're barely into one year of starts for Brock Purdy. So I can't say this loud enough. I don't give a damn if he threw four interceptions and all four of them were his fault and they were boneheaded throws. I would beg anybody to go back and watch Peyton Manning's. I'm not saying Brock is Peyton Manning. I'm just saying like we need to press pause on the entire Brock Purdy conversation because everybody wants everything to have some big sweeping result. I, it's like even if he had a bad game, who gives a damn? Like he's allowed to, he's a young quarterback in this league, barely playing. He's allowed to have a bad game. Every single quarterback, okay, Lamar's had terrible games. Dak Prescott, terrible games. Josh Allen, god-awful games. All the good quarterbacks have had terrible games. Yeah. It's one game. I, good God. Patrick Mahomes this week. Uh, so I was I was volunteering on Christmas Day, as I do every year. I like to go to a place and feed people, right? And so I was feeding, and, and there was a football fan standing next to me. And this guy was yelling about the fact that the Bills needed to get rid of Josh Allen. Because if you've tried it three years in a row and you haven't gotten any different result, why are you continually trying it? He's like, if you can't win me a Super Bowl, I don't even want him. Like, the stupidity with which we talk about the – like, are it was like, Christmas. I'll take him. And I, I was like, please, God, you know, you you I'll give you Aiden O'Connell. You give me Josh Allen. One up. One for one, I'll take that trade off. Okay, I'm, I'm done. I'll, I'll move my soapbox. We'll move on to the next one. Speaking of Aiden O'Connell, my beloved Raiders beat the Chiefs. We all know this. Santa Claus gave me the perfect present. We all know that. Here's the question I ask you guys, because you're plugged in and you're the insiders. Uh, as a result of this, uh, Antonio Pierce keeping this job. Like, if you're Mark Davis and you have to make the choice between Antonio Pierce and another coach you know nothing about, I think you go with Antonio Pierce. But if it's Antonio Pierce versus like uh, Jim Harbaugh, what are we doing here? Any, 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 any gut feel on this, Jory? What, 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 what's happening for me? Yeah, when when I saw that on our lineup for this conversation, I'm like, dang it, because I feel pretty strongly they should keep Antonio Pierce. But it's like, if you're going to get rid of him, it's for someone like Jim Harbaugh. I think that they're also just like totally different in terms of do you want offensive or defensive? Do you want someone who's been around a while or someone who can kind of be this upstart feeling? But I think when you see what the Raiders are doing, how do you let the guy who's helped your team to stability and to energy after a midseason firing go twice? I think that... Maybe if you hadn't already lost Rich Passaccia, who I think was actually less compelling a case than Antonio Pierce, then you let Antonio Pierce go. But you got to regret that you did this time. And this guy is not just like winning some games. He is winning games that he should not be winning against the Chiefs at Arrowhead on, on Christmas. I mean, 
I think you keep Antonio Pierce. And I think the bigger question is, who do you have as your OC? Who are you putting around him? And how can you make sure that you have some veteran minds, veteran coaching minds, I should say, because I guess Antonio became a veteran player, but you should have some veteran minds in the building, but I don't think you change the head coach. Yeah, I don't think I, unless um, Harbaugh is really, truly viable, which at this point, I almost think I, I, I've gone back and forth on this because I do think it's so touch and go with him because of the athletic director at Michigan, but clearly everyone else wants to give him that monster contract. And, and at the very least they want to have him around through 2024, um, you know, to find some stability through the, the NCAA investigation. I think if he were in play in, in with the Raiders and your, design is to stick him with a quarterback like you know which quarterback you basically you've talked to Jim Harbaugh and he says hey JD McCarthy's coming out this kid I, I even though I don't let him throw the football he's he's he compares him to Andrew Luck he truly believes that um you hook him up with JJ McCarthy then I get it I understand that and um in terms of like how you want to build but given what happened with the Basaccia experience given that Mark went away from that and tried you know, to go big game hunting and and get Josh McDaniels and then it all fell apart. I think there's plenty of, uh, I think there's plenty of evidence here to pitch, like, let's just be patient. This guy has succeeded. The team responds to him. There's an element of leadership that he brings to the table that is rare, you know, and we have it. Let's hang on to it and see where he can take this thing. You've also seen that this is a locker room that will let you know when they don't respond to a coach. And are you really willing to risk that so soon again? Yeah, that that's exactly Joey, what I was going to say. We've seen a different level of personality from Max Crosby over the last month as he's felt sort of freed from all of this. That's not by accident. Max is going to revolt at some point if you don't listen to him. So I think when you beat the Chargers, you beat the, the Chiefs at Arrowhead and you have a chance to beat the Broncos in three of your last four games. Antonio Pierce is going to be the next head coach of the Raiders. Let's get one more in. What's your panic meter on the Cowboys who found a weird way to lose to the Dolphins? It was a great game, but uh, the, the Cowboys get this loss. So, uh, Charles, where are you on the panic meter for the Cowboys? I don't I think they get still lose in the, like the first playoff game. I, I don't I'm not convinced that that this team over the length of the season, I would like to have seen more consistency against really good teams. OK, and, and that to me would have convinced me like, OK, look, they're ready for this. We're ready for when the playoffs come, everything kicks up a notch. There's a ton of pressure. I think there's an immense amount of, of pressure on Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott and everybody else going into this postseason because I do think people still look at the Cowboys and go, okay, they're good at beating bad teams when they face you know teams that have an equal level of talent or an exceeding level of talent, which is pretty tough when you play the Cowboys. Um, they struggle and they find ways – to lose games rather than to win games. I don't think it's panic because for me all season long, I've been like, okay, we'll see. We'll see. I want to see them get over um, a hump in the, in the postseason. And I've said this repeatedly. Like, I don't think, and Jory and I have disagreed on it. Like, I don't think, I don't think Mike has accomplished anything new here yet until he goes into the playoffs and actually takes them on a decent run. I don't care what else he's done in the in the regular season. I don't care what the offense looks like under him. What matters in this organization, really, truly, what should matter in this organization is being able to have a sustained playoff run. And to me, I, like, I am get to the NFC title game and I will change my tune on whether I think Mike's really accomplished all that much with these Cowboys. So if the Cowboys do have success in the playoffs, we will be able to point to the difference between Buffalo and Miami and playoffs being that they have Zach Martin back at right guard and Tyron Smith back at left tackle. They didn't have Zach in Buffalo. They didn't have Tyron in Miami. Both times Zach was under a ton of pressure. I've got to start. I'll be using a story this week, which is that uh, previously before my Miami game, Dak hadn't been pressured on more than 37% of dropbacks. He was pressured on 44% this time. If anyone saw Bradley Chubb, they would be like this man, should probably be a Hall of Famer yesterday. And was Chubb even having that great of a season going into that game? Like, I don't think, I think the season's been okay. They just could not block him and their protections were not what they needed to be. That that defense was physically overpowering them and also just confusing them with the rushers they were sending. And to Dak's credit, like, there's that throw he makes on that final scoring drive where he's literally being pulled down and still making the throw and, and also the touchdown, he had guys in his face. Um, the problem I have with all of this is that again, I covered them for seven years. I've been generally aware of what they're doing my whole life growing up in Dallas. And like, 
they don't get past the divisional round. They haven't in, since I was like two years old, 18 months. And so until they do it, I'm just not going to believe that they're going to do it. I think they have the talent. I think they have the coaching, but I think that I, I use the phrase comedy of errors in my story this past week. And I'm like, is this too harsh? But like, it's true. There's always something in Philly. It's the step out of bounds and the knock it over and being like just a little bit short this time on the first scoring drive, it was uh, Tony Pollard's body got over the line, but he didn't get the ball over the line into the end zone over the goal line, I should say. And, and then Dax handing it off to Hunter Lepke, which why are you going to your fullback for the third time of your scoring drive in? I know that you don't have Zeke, but I don't know. You fumble it like, yeah, maybe because Hunter Lucky hasn't practiced that as much as you should have. So it's great if it works, but you can understand why it did. There's always something. And so I think that they can play competitively in the playoffs. And I wouldn't be surprised if they win a wild card game, but I agree with you. Like if you can't win the Buffalo game, if you can't win the Miami game, it's not about the record. And you can make an argument that it'd be better to be the five seed than the one or two, the one or two seed, because you'd rather play, or I guess I should say the two seed, because you'd rather play the NFC South champion than you would someone like the Rams in the first round of the playoffs. I still just think like, if this team is always going to have that little thing where they got close and you can feel good about the effort, but not about the result, how do you get farther in the playoffs? Stone clip it off. Uh, I'm telling you now, Cowboys NFC championship game. Somebody here has to be a beacon of light. It's going to happen this year. Why? Because the script writers are going to do that. I don't know. I like it. Just, it just feels like this is the year they're kissed by the football gods. They should be fits though. You're not saying they should like, that's your, what you are saying. It's not, it's not a hot take. Like they, <laughs> they are talented. They're like they're, and I think, I think they're you know generally well coached too. And, and yet right. we are where I we know. are. I also, like, I wrote that the offense was more of an issue against Miami, and I do think not having a, a completion to CeeDee Lamb for the second and third quarters of the game is a pretty big issue. That said, like, if your defense is even, like, two-thirds as good as they thought they were, they should be able to make that stop at the end. And I know that Micah Parsons wants his holding calls. I still think he should be more effective than he's been. But I give a lot of credit to Demarcus Lawrence because I think he played fantastic this week. What, what did Jerry what did Jerry basically say? Like, if he's not getting his sack every shocked. play, he's getting health. <laughs> no, no, no. Jerry was kind of the opposite. He was like, the question, basically the refs have to decide of like whether they could have gotten the sack when they're making the call and they don't realize that Micah always could. But he kind of was like, I don't think that they're trying to hold it against any player. I actually thought Jerry would be more anti-ref than he was. Yeah, because the last thing Jerry wants is less holding calls that makes his quarterback take more hits. He's, you know, protect the quarterback at all costs. I'm just saying, all right, we'll, we will play this back one way or the other when the Cowboys are eliminated. Uh, hopefully I'll be right. In the meantime, I'll be back tomorrow with Zero Blitz. Follow us on social media at Charles Robinson at Jory Epstein at SJ Rochelle producer behind the glass doing God's work I'm at Jason Fitz C-Rob tell everybody how they can support Therese Paler's legacy it's cold time this season checking out breakingtea.com slash Therese to get your all juice tea or hoodie especially the hoodie right about now comes in handy uh, and remember the proceeds from that purchase go to support the Therese Paler scholarship at Howard University you can also contribute to that directly as well as the scholarship in his name at Missouri if you check out our podcast description. Yes. While you're checking out that podcast description, go ahead and leave us that five-star review. Rate, subscribe, tell your friends, your family, your enemies. Tell everybody to hang out with us every single Wednesday. We will be back next week with more inside coverage. Y'all have a safe, wonderful, and happy new year.